Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Michelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about when your book is last. Mm. It sounds kind of sad for the book, doesn't it? Putting your book last. <laughs> it, it sort of does, like it's not important, but I think we have a different spin on this. Yeah, so this is the, the jumping off point here uh, is last week's interview with Mike Michalowicz and one of the things that popped out of that interview that really grabbed my attention was the process that he goes through to write a book or the process that he uses that produces a book on the other end and that he has multiple ones going at different points in the process at the same time. Mic drop. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's one of those. It makes instant sense in retrospect. Like as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, right. Because he was, he was talking about he did bring up, he's like, well, you know, some, some people write a, you know, 300 page business card, uh, but those aren't the kinds of books that stick around for 10, 20, 30 years. He's like, so, you know, he want he said, and obviously this makes sense that he wants his books to actually be good and useful in and of themselves. And they aren't just like, um, a marketing pitch for their product ladder, basically right, or for their consulting business. And so today we wanted to kind of talk about some of the the experiences we've had with ourselves and with students that align with that, that uh, for me, for me, it wasn't explicit until he said that. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I can think of a bunch of examples that essentially this is the process that was followed. And, uh, but doing it much more intentionally, I think is a really cool idea. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think we both had the same reaction. Well, yes, of course you want your book to be rich and to be helpful. But there's a lot of books out there that are not, that are, you know, 150, 200, 300 pages of basic fluff. And that's not- so much better after you run my system. Yes, exactly, exactly. So it's, you know, it's finding that right balance to have a book. But when you start with this premise that you want your book to be supremely helpful, then the question is, how do you make sure that is so? And I really like how he described the basically four to five year process, which by the way, made me feel way better about how long it took me to get my book out. (laughs) That four to five year process of working on the material, testing it in real life, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, so that Essentially, the book is last. The book is the last, the final piece of this entire process. Yes, the culmination, if you will. Yeah. So here's, it's funny because I've worked with people who, uh, they have the kind of business where a book is a glaring omission. You know what I mean? Like they Mm -hmm. they have a sort of thought leadery kind of business model, but they don't have a book. And it's like, well, we need a book. (laughs) So... (laughs) you know what's it going to be and it's it's really um you can't really force it like you i'm always looking for some 5 to 10 years of experience that they definitely have and they definitely know that they they have this confidence around this whatever the process is or the framework is or the tools are or whatever the mm-hmm. you know they they've been using something in their consulting that that produces results for their clients and they know it works so it's like okay well, let's let's use that versus you know um, trying to trying to just start from scratch and just say like hmm what would be a good book to write and then you know in in that coming at it from the yeah that just doesn't work it just you can't do it and it's i i feel like i was um i had a i got off on the wrong foot with this honestly because 
my probably my my most popular book successful book was the first iphone book i wrote and it was a technology that had literally just come out so it was the book was actually me exploring something for the first time and then writing it down you know mm-hmm. almost like i was writing documentation for the for the mobile safari browser and so i didn't have any expertise like no one did so it's funny because i feel like that experience has kind of um in in a non-technology world, you know, if you're writing books about business uh, or or whatever, some sort of much more evergreen expertise, it's just, it's not the, you can't do that because it didn't just come out, you know, like profit first, uh, I shouldn't say profit first didn't just come out. The idea of profit didn't just come out. The idea of positioning didn't just come out. The idea of closing mm-hmm. a sales deal didn't just come out. So all of these things, we've even talked about this before now that I say it, we've talked about like, if you have an evergreen subject, you need to come at it in a way, or, or like an eternal subject. You need to come at it in a way that's new and fresh and useful, and and uh, and somehow different than the hundreds or thousands of books on the same subject before yes. have been. And has to tie to your brand, not just yeah. your expertise, but your brand of expertise. Yeah. So maybe if there's some new trend and it's brand new, and you're sort of a researchy academic type, I guess it would be kind of like my iPhone book. Um, you know, like maybe you're, you're millennial people or something when that was still a fresh topic or who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe there's a path there, but um, for speaking for myself and, you know, a, a few of my students, I definitely see like, okay, what's what's a, a more reliable path to write a book that could theoretically be still getting read 20 years from now? And yeah, and so we've I, I, I think Mike's approach is a great one. And uh, I've got a couple of echoes of that experience that we could talk about today. Well, I want to throw something in, though, before we do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mike didn't talk about it, although we didn't ask him about it either. And that is the importance of research. So let's say you you have a pretty good idea about what you want to write about. And just so many people don't do this step is you got to go to Amazon and see what other books there are in that genre, who's writing them, what are their angles. Um, Ideally, you read them, but you typically, at least for me, I don't want to read them just before I write mine because I want to make sure that my thinking isn't like derivative of somebody else. But it's really important, and especially if you're going to pitch your book to a publisher, because they're going to want to know, how does this book position against these other books? And the idea is that if you pick a topic where it's proven that people buy books on this topic, that's the first thing, right? So it is, you do actually want competition for your book. You don't want to be the only one writing about a topic, unless it's like your mobile, where it's just so brand new, nobody else is. And you really just want to find out out, who else is writing about this? What are they saying? What are the titles? If you if you see a title that sort of looks like, oh, I wish I'd thought about that, click on the review the inside of this book and look at the chapters. Get a sense for, you know, you can usually read a little bit of the introduction so you get a sense for what it is. So you find a, an angle that hasn't been explored before. Or you take this angle, but you apply your voice to your specific audience. Right. Maybe this book has been written for developers, but you're going to write it for marketers. So it's really just understand what's out there first. So anyway, I just had to make a plug for research. Yeah, totally. Um, A a hack, a life hack that I do around that sometimes is to uh, 
I often do that to find the authors and find out what other podcasts they've been on because that might be a good place for for me or the whoever I'm working with to go on as well. You know, they obviously mm-hmm. take guests. They obviously are interested in this category of subject. Uh, and then a, a sort of a shortcut to reading the book and also to not kind of poison your mind with accidentally ingesting somebody else's ideas um, is to just listen to the interviews because they're usually only like a half an hour and they usually hit the big points of the book and you get the idea and you can find enough, um, you can find enough, usually find enough differentiation between their angle and what you were planning to do without, uh, you know, kind of like putting yourself in a position to accidentally rip off their ideas or something like that. Yeah. No, that's a good idea. Um, Cool. So, so let's talk process. So if we imagine that you, let's say you are some sort of coachy kind of whatever, you're an expert, a consultant, coachy kind of person, you're an expert on your, your subject area and you've been doing it for a while, but you haven't actually, you've been doing consulting or coaching for a while, but you haven't actually written, been doing that much writing, maybe not even a mailing list or whatever. And, and you're like, yeah, I've got a book in me. I can feel it. Then a next step that I've done with a couple of different students uh, is to outline, outline the book, of course, you know, like all the, all the mm-hmm. usual stuff. Who's it for? What's the right. promise? What's the title? What's the subtitle? Uh, maybe even if they have, if they've been doing it for a long time, they could sometimes write the back cover, but maybe not. Uh, back covers are real, back covers like a, you know, a thumbnail sketch of all of the marketing to follow. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's like, okay, now put together, roughly speaking, put together a, you know, 45 to 45 minute to 60 minute slide deck for each chapter and present them as webinars in front of an audience and, and try and teach it and get it. Cause what you want is the feedback from people who are hearing this stuff for the first time. Maybe they don't understand a term that you're using and it's a really important term. And you want to get these questions and then you take all of that and you plow it into back into the content. And you mm-hmm. could do like, uh, I've had two students do this where they take a, uh, the concept was to take a, an idea and create a workshop out of it. And so I was like, well, you know, put the workshop together, make it five, five, uh, sessions, five segments and do Monday through Friday, just do a webinar every lunch hour, uh, for the whole week. And mm-hmm. get all your questions, and then you know maybe if the presentation was really good, you can clean them up and use those as uh, something that you sell, or maybe you clean it up and do you know on a on a weekend or the next week or something, clean it up and incorporate all of the Q and A into the presentation itself, and then boom, workshop. And uh, then the next step from there could certainly be you know it could be run the workshop a few times and get some more questions, but um, you know I have one student who just did this process and had like no questions. Everyone was like, that was amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Okay. Go back to the book and start writing the chapters now. Yeah. And and so I, I really like the idea of of putting something out in public and putting putting your ideas out there, kind of like put them out in the air and see see what resonates, see what doesn't resonate. Because the the, the idea of just taking what you think you know and putting it in a book and then publishing it it's without without bouncing it off a decent number of people for me is like oof 
Yeah. That, it, I don't like that idea. Yeah, I mean, because I think about the launch for that. I mean, where's the support? You need a launch team. You need a bunch of people supporting a, a book to really help make it make it successful. And yeah, and and that's that's the great part of the webinar idea is that you're building. You, you really, without realizing it, maybe you're building your support team. The people that are excited by this may be the very people who are advanced readers for your book and the people who will uh, post the review the first day. Mm-hmm. I think the, the other thing that I like a lot is using a podcast series to, uh, to, to flesh out a book. It's not as good for getting direct feedback because people tend not to give, you know, as pointed feedback on podcasts. But what I like it for is when you want interviews in your book and you want to use stories and examples, and it's a great way to get someone who's maybe, you know, a celebrity in your field to come on because it's an asset that they can then share. But you get that story, you get access to the story. And what I like, especially if you have this idea, is that you get to keep testing the idea with each person. And maybe you ask each of them the same question, right? There's, And I'm, I'm not a big fan of podcasts where everybody gets asked the same six questions every time, but maybe there's one that you always ask them that really helps you to dig in and have a, a different perspective about your area of expertise. Um, there, there, I can't say I've experienced this myself with any of my clients, but there are a couple of, of fairly well-known examples of people who have gotten book deals from podcast from not, not a single interview, but developing a successful podcast. Mm -hmm. If you've got the right idea and podcast is your, is your media, um, you can build a pretty darn good audience. And again, an audience that ultimately will be interested in the book. So that's the, to me, it's like, it's not even chicken and egg. It's like a weave that we're always doing both things at the same time. We're testing the ideas and we're building a support team, you know, whether it's fans or apostles or alliance partners, you know, you're building uh, at the same time. Mm. Yeah, that, that testing piece, getting live feedback from from people who would be ideal readers is just it's just so like if you haven't it, it could sound scary i suppose like we go geez i gotta you know they might tell me my baby's ugly but that's what you want you don't want to write mm-hmm. the book and then find out that your baby is ugly you want to find out first yeah. Uh, yeah. and I, I remember one of the i think one of the things that that contributed to the success of the iphone book it was mostly timing let's be honest but um, but one of the things that i absolutely loved and i am positive i know for sure it made the book much better was that O'Reilly had this system where I would I would commit my changes to like a repo and and uh, there was uh, a process on the server that would produce a typeset PDF out of it so it looked just like the book would eventually Mm -hmm. look which was so cool for like proofing it for some reason seeing it like in a different seeing it looking like a real book was good for me to proof it but it also created a website where people could make comments on individual lines or like paragraphs just like a google doc or something which this was way back before i think this is even before google docs but anyway it it would produce this this uh password protected blog essentially uh more like medium actually it's kind of like medium and people uh, early i can't name a name for it. it was like um beta readers or early access or something and 
they would sign up and they would go in and they would ask these awesome questions about a very specific it could be just a sentence be like like what is what is this you know be like oh they're right i you know i left something out or i, I ah. should go deeper there and i mean getting the feedback directly on the book itself was just amazing mm-hmm. uh, so that was really cool but you know it it was there's a lot of setup and infrastructure in that approach uh, so i like i like the for a particular personality that it has a bias toward action and and forward motion and maybe isn't uh, isn't as much of a perfectionist i i think the webinar series thing is like that i that's like i think it's so great it's so powerful you can do it very quickly you could possibly end up with a workshop and a book um really cool now the it, podcast it also, thing well, i was just okay. gonna say it also the the webinar idea it also puts the person right front and center so it gives you really early experience about and def- say you're, that you're always defending the book because you really want to listen um mm-hmm. but it gives you a lot of experience with talking about the book and getting comfortable listening and synthesizing what they're saying and then you know spouting that out in the next iteration mm-hmm yeah, and if no one signs up, that's a, that's interesting. If a lot of better people sign than, up, <laughs> better, better than, than writing a whole book, exactly. Yeah, it, but if people do show up, you're getting a head start on your marketing language. Like you're starting to you're starting to find out what people, you know, of the five topics, which one was the best attended. And you know, there's a million factors that go into this, like time of day, day of the week, and you know, whatever. But you do start to get a signal that people either do or don't care about this and uh, and are willing to at least devote an hour of their time and their attention and and uh, ask questions and be engaged around this topic so you start to get a sense of i mean it's it's almost market research on top of the book research you know, mm-hmm. how do i talk about this in a way that makes the value proposition clear so that's yes. cool and th- and then i also wanted to say something about the podcast thing cuz the the book i am endlessly working on right now uh, a big piece of it is, you know, I'm, uh, is, you know, I want to give examples of like 30 or 40 kinds of productized services. So, you know, it's, it's called ditching hourly and there's some value pricing stuff in there and there's some positioning stuff in there, but it, it's very heavily skewed toward service providers who have created productized services instead of going down or not instead of, but perhaps in addition to, but have created successful productized service businesses and and i in fact did start interviewing i interviewed a couple of people but i didn't do it i didn't say hey i'm i'd like to interview you on my podcast for a book or vice versa or just say i want to interview on my podcast that i think that would have been i should have done that i've only done a few i think i'll probably do any any subsequent ones i'm going to do on ditching hourly the podcast which gives me it like it creates some structure and it puts an appointment in my calendar that I'm not going to miss. Uh, it'll give me, it'll just make it easier for me to be like, Oh, cool. You know, it just, I'm just mm-hmm. lazy and it'll make it easier. So that seems like a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> we just work so, better with a little structure sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. So you had some, if I am not mistaken, you referenced some interviews in the authority code from TBOA. Yeah. 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 Okay. And did I'm trying, you, I'm trying to remember which ones. I think. <laughs> but I did. A uh, Seth Godin quote, I'm pretty sure. The Seth Godin quote, um, Adam Davidson, although I yep. did a separate um, private interview with him in addition. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is a good idea. This is a good idea. I think Jill Conrath. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I used a, a Jill Conrath uh, scenario. Um, cool. Yeah, those are the like the direct ones. I mean, I'm a big believer that it all filters through, right? Mm-hmm. The the sum total of the experience all comes out at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's this idea though that people. I just think there's still this feeling that writing a book is this solitary exercise that we go into our cave and we work on the book like think about all those writers retreats and writers Mm -hmm. workshops and you work on it and then you're done and then you hand it over to a publisher or you know you're self-publishing and and that's it you're done and that's not true especially of expertise books but really it's not even true of of fiction anymore Right. It's a little bit like uh, like being a, a famous actor in a movie and you're doing six months of promo for all the award shows. Right. You do the movie and then you spend the next six months promoting it. That's really what we're talking about here. And the, the best books in terms of the performance of the book are the ones that are well written to Michaelowitz's point, but also that have an audience, right? That where you've got a group of people that are attached to the book and help you grow the book and get it, get it read. Yeah. So there's a point I want to make that you kind of made there that I want to bring out explicitly, which is the writing a good book piece and the, the difference between, there's a big difference between knowing your stuff works for like, say yourself or people you're working closely with one-on-one, it's different than, and, and you could know that and write that and it would be accurate, but it still might not work because of the lost in translation concept mm-hmm. where yeah. if you don't have, you know, if you're just sending this book out to a sort of anonymous public and people don't get a chance to bounce questions off you while you're reading it, it, it could be going way over their head or it could be it's probably probably that it could be that there be terms or concepts that you share with people one on one that don't make it into the book. Maybe you didn't realize that that was an important thing, or that that is the thing that turns on the light bulb. So the the it's one thing to know that you've got this process or whatever it is that you're teaching in the book, but it's another thing to know that the message is making it across the divide into the reader. And to me, I I don't know how you would do that without sharing the concepts early and often in the process of writing it uh and you know any so it turns into some kind of conversation whether it's q a on a webinar or interviews with people on a podcast uh or um, i mean i don't know where this was i think this was in a in the mailbag section at the end of an akimbo episode somebody asked a, a similar question about it was something like how do i know when to write my book or when it's time or something and his advice was get your thoughts together and find five people, get on a Zoom call and teach it to them, which is, you know, it's less public than a webinar. You'd be grabbing like just five people and it'd be private. And and if possible, record it if it's okay with everyone and just try to teach it and then see where the blank stairs are because that, that blank stare, uh, you can fix it in a live situation. But if you're getting, if your book is getting blank stares in a particular chapter or a paragraph, then you just, it's, it's not a good book. Yeah, and a lot of times you you will never know that that's the case, yeah, right? Because they're not telling you they they like oh they get to chapter seven put down the book, yeah, and then right. they don't recommend it either. They may not trash you in your Amazon reviews, but they won't recommend it either. Right, 
or maybe they will trust you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I I don't know. It's it's funny because all the stories we're sharing are all things I knew before, but somehow I had the cart before the horse in a in an irrational kind of way, and uh, it was great. It was great having that uh, that surprise. His answer was a surprise to me, and it was great because I was like, oh wow! Like it, it felt like a whole bunch of things fell into place. It was very cool. Yeah. Well, I still think there's this counterintuitiveness about all this that, oh, we have to have the idea. We have to have the idea and it has to be perfected. We have to know what the chapters are. We have to know all this stuff. And before we can share it at all. But what if you've been writing about this stuff maybe for a couple of years and that's when you sit down and go, oh, okay. And then you can outline the chapters and then you can do exactly what you said, which is, you know, turn those into webinars uh, there's a lot of different ways you can you can play with that, but it's it, it really I just think there's this thing that we just think maybe it's because we sell our expertise for a living that we have to have it so buttoned down and so perfect mm. before we say anything. Yeah, and you do need to have a, you do need to know what you're talking about, but you have to learn how to say it. That's the that's yeah. the thing that I'm trying to highlight the most here. Because I can remember when I first started coaching people, there's it was very on the side type of thing, and people were like, "Could you teach this to me?" And I was like, "I don't know, I guess, but you know, I'll have to charge you because it's going to be time consuming." And oh yeah, okay, you know, and and so I'd be like, I was very much like, "Just go like this, like just do this, just copy me," <laughs> you know. And they're like, "I don't get it," or "That won't work for me," or "I don't understand what you mean," or you know. And there were just so many assumptions baked into what I was. There's just so many assumptions baked into the the model I was using that were perfect right. for me. But I don't know if you know this, but not everyone's just like me. Turns out, <gasps> no. <laughs> <laughs> so when so you need to come up with different words, different stories, different anecdotes, different metaphors, and and a range of them for different people, and include you know the ones that seem to click with people. You know, so you don't you can't just think of that. You can't just be smart and sit there by yourself and think of those things because it it, invo- it necessarily involves the reader. So somebody who's been doing, like if you've already been doing workshops, I feel like you're way ahead of the game. You know, it, oh, and now that I think of it, I think the last two books Seth Godin has published have been directly from the workshops that he did with Akimbo. Uh, yeah, I, the marketing, I can't remember the names. This is marketing was from the marketing seminar. So he ran the marketing seminar like five times and then collected the content into a book. And uh, I forget the name of it, but he did the, uh, I think that was the bootstrappers guide, the practice. Yeah, the practice was based directly on a workshop. So he got feedback from something like 30,000 people or whatever it was. You know, <laughs> that's like, a good test. That's a really good test. Like, you know, that book's good. Like, you just know it. Yeah. Because it's so road tested. Yeah. 30,000 people. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know. I mean, <laughs> no, I, was, I know, I, but I, it's probably it's probably a decent estimate. It's just, yeah. My point was just that you don't have to have 30,000 people to prove a point. That's the beauty <laughs> right. of it. I mean, it, it depends on the size of your tribe, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to have a huge tribe to have a successful book. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you had, my, let's say, to pick the webinar. My experience is... Years and years, it happens every time. Every time I do a webinar, you know, X number of people sign up and half of X show up. Mm-hmm. 
And you do want people, and, and most of the time it kind of doesn't matter because the replay is there and it's still going to funnel people into your list and so forth. But if you're actually using this as research, you probably want at least 10 or 20 people to sign up so that five or 10 show up so that you can get some kind of interaction with the audience um, to, to make sure that you're getting, that, that their eyes aren't glazing over at any point. And yeah, so, you know, it doesn't need to be 30,000. Let me just throw a thing in there. I think it's a really good point you said about their eyes glazing over. You need to see them. Do not do this like in Crowdcast where you're just like, you know, promoting. You need to actually be able to see their faces so you get it and you can watch. And yeah, and you have to be comfortable with that, that this is not like a, I'm going to read a script kind of a performance, that this is really a teaching, you know, just imagine you were in the same room and you're teaching them something. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I did that. Um, I did like a two-day workshop a couple of times in person uh, with uh, after we interviewed Joe Pine, and I was like, I want to try an experience thing. I want to just try it, and did that. And uh, and then pandemic hit, and I ran it a couple of more times online. And normally, when I do like for example group coaching sessions, I do those in Crowdcast, and people submit their answers, uh, their questions as text, and I just sort of like a Q and A. The whole, the whole thing is just Q&A, but they, don't, they aren't on screen. Um, but I'm not teaching anything. I'm just I'm answering questions. But I think for this, like with the workshop, I did want to be able to see them as if we were sitting around the table. So we used Zoom, which I don't usually do. And you're right. Like I, I, that really makes it better because you can see when someone's disengaging. And, uh, it, you know, in, in, if it's the content, you're going to want to find out why. You know, like what, how, how could I say this to make it? connect yeah that's i think that's an important point well and and yeah and you can ask them that and and you know if you have kind of a canned presentation that you want your a a way that you want to walk through it and then at the end you could say hey curious about how this word worked for you and i think the other piece when you think about what words mean and the way that you use specific words is that you also want to use them in a way that captures your ideal audience Like I used to always, what I'm now calling the revolution, I used to always call the big idea. And I always felt like, I mean, advertisers and marketers, they know what it is, but not everybody else does. And a lot of people think it's a tagline and it isn't. I mean, it could be, but that's not the the point. But when I talk about a revolution, people like they can picture what that is, especially now with everything going on in the world, right? It's you can picture it. Yeah. The thing I liked about that shift in metaphor is that a revolution has a leader and, and the big idea if it, and it's a group, you know what I mean? Yes. Where the the big idea, it's, it feels very solitary in comparison. Yeah. It's a good point. It just feels very, it just felt very marketing oriented to me because it's what you do in brand work, right? You figure out what's the big idea of this product or service or person. And yeah, and that's not what we're about. We're about transforming the lives of the people that we serve. So it is a revolution. Anyway, my point was that it took me a long time to get to that word. And if I hadn't asked, I wouldn't have gotten there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Jeez, I think I, I feel like this is this is how, this is my weekly therapy session as usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got my tech consulting session before we started, so yeah. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Dang browsers. Um, great. Well, I would love to hear feedback from folks about this. If this if this clicks with you, 
uh, you can find us on Twitter or or um, our email address. I think at least my email address is on the uh, podcast website. Um, maybe you've had it, dear listener. Maybe you've had an experience doing this, or maybe you would like to hear more about it, or maybe you'd like to be in a Zoom call when I eventually do this for my book. <laughs> so <laughs> we can connect there, connect in any one of those places. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely dig this idea, and I need to add some structure around my. Um, my writing because I don't, I don't in the past, I think the past several books I've written were pretty much like me in the dark by myself. And, you know, even though I was getting some like blog comments and stuff, it was very solitary mm-hmm. and uh, it just doesn't feel right. I'm not doing it. I'm not sticking with it. Uh, I, I, w- I want something that's a little bit more community and collaborative and uh, get the audience into the process of writing it because I know that will make it better and it'll keep me more engaged and add some structure Uh, more structure than, you know, sit down and write from 11 to 2. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have come to me and they said, here, I've got this book. I just drafted it. I want to launch it. Will you help me? I'm like, well, uh, you're done. Like, have you built a group? Have you done this? Have you done this? Well, no, 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 no. I, I went into my cave and I produced this book and isn't it beautiful? Who's it for? Don't really know. Yeah. You know, so like that's not a way to write a book. Right. Maybe fiction, but the kind of book that we're talking about, you've got to have some other people invested in the success of your book where they get excited. Yeah, they get excited about it. They want to share it. And, you know, and it, it does mean that you have to work a little differently. It's not solitary and they're not all going to love it. In fact, you <laughs> might have a couple of like really heated emails from somebody who feels strongly about a point that you made. But, you know, if you just listen and then you're always in charge of the boat, right? You decide what you're going to use and what you're not. But the, the book is so, your book will be so much better when you get this interaction with people. It may take longer, it may feel harder, but it will be more successful. Your book will be better and it will reach the people that you want it to reach. Yeah, and and make the transformation that you're hoping it will. It's, yeah, you're, exactly. you're not just presenting research and like do with it what you will. You know, you want the reader to take some kind of probably to take some action and yeah, make some changes. You know, so it, you're going to increase the odds that, that you'll be successful in that effort if you involve them more in the process. It's just going to be a lot stronger. Exactly. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>